0: Hello, I'm Mercedes and I'm Tash and you're listening to episode 203 of Chat Disney. So welcome back to another episode of the Chat Disney Podcast and we're continuing with our lists, our top 10 lists this week and today we're going to be exploring 10, 10, 10, 10, top 10, oh my goodness, tongue twister, top 10 Disney experiences that you have to try in your next Disney holiday. Very, very exciting. We're also going to be ending today's episode with a review of Avatar 2, Way of Water. It's about time. But before we head into that, let's have a quick look at what's been happening in the world of Disney this week.
1: So starting with our friends at Shanghai Disney and Shanghai Disney has been celebrating its first year of the rabbit. Very, very exciting. They've had lots of decor up around the parks, lots of celebrations going on. And I'm very sad that I have actually not been in China to celebrate a, a Chinese New Year.
0: That is shocking, especially because you lived there for so long. That is- well,
1: I have, I have been there, but I haven't been in the parks, like, when yeah, yeah. it's actually been. I've been because the celebrations go on for quite a while, but I've not been, like, when they've actually kind of been in, like,
0: the full swing of things. Right, okay, that makes sense, that makes sense. Cool, well, heading over to a different Disney park Walt Disney World. Lots has been happening, so obviously we spoke about how not last week, the week before, Splash Mountain closed permanently in Walt Disney World in the Magic Kingdom. And we now know that it broke records with the longest ever wait times in Disney Park history, which is insane. The queues were absolutely wild, as I'm sure you can imagine. And what's even crazier is that people are now selling containers of water with Splash Mountain attraction water in the container on eBay, which is absolutely wild. And just to confirm, Zippity Doodar has now been removed from the park's playlist, so you will not hear that song when you're in Walt Disney World at all. And work's already begun on transforming Splash Mountain into Tiana's Bayou adventure. So, you know, Disney, they don't hang around. And we've also had a first look at the Roundup Rodeo Barbecue in Hollywood Studios. This is, of course, coming to Toy Story Land and has been teased for a really long time. We've seen the menu. It's what you would expect. Typical kind of Southern barbecue cuisine. looks absolutely amazing. Tash, one for you. There are some brand new Sully ears that have been released in Walt Disney World. They're absolutely gorgeous, fluffy, amazing. I can't believe they've never done these before. And the monorail at Walt Disney World has had a bit of a facelift for the 100th anniversary, and you'll hear lots of stuff about. About the 100th anniversary in the news today because Disney really are getting everything in, in motion right now.
1: I'm going to have to check out these Sully ears because when when you first said Sully ears I thought it would just be like the little horns that he has <laughs> so I'm very intrigued to, to see these um, and heading over to our other Asian park Tokyo Disney and a new daytime parade has debuted and it's called Harmony in Colour do head over to social media or YouTube to check it out there is lots of footage of it and new details of Tokyo Disney's 40th anniversary celebrations have been released so the celebration at the resort will start on April the 15th 2023 this year and it will go right through until march the 31st 2024 so just over a whole year which is actually no, just under a whole year sorry (laughs) my maths is bad and um for the 40th anniversary dream go round will be the theme and it will welcome an all new daytime parade new foods merchandise and so much more which i'm sure we will report on as it comes to fruition
0: how amazing is the news this week? It feels like we're really, really over the pandemic and like Disney is back to normal because I've got a load of really exciting stuff to tell you about Disneyland in California today as well. And I'll try and whiz through this as quickly as I can. So I teased when we were talking just then about Walt Disney World that the 100th anniversary of Disney really is ramping up. And we've had more details of World of Color 100 revealed. So World of Color 100 is, of course, the second coming of World of Color in, in California Adventure. And World of Color 100 is gonna include things like the Avengers, Grogu, the baby Yoda, Mirabelle from Disney's Encanto, and scenes from Pixar's Coco as well, which is really exciting. So they really are looking at the whole 100 years of Disney and and including some really current uh, IP as well, which is amazing. The 100th anniversary outfits have been revealed for Disneyland. We spoke in last week's news about the Hong Kong outfits. Disneyland's outfits are a little bit different. Mickey and the gang are featured in purple and white with kind of silver diamante diamond detailing. And there are also some new name tags for cast members as well that have been revealed featuring the new Disney 100 logo there's a brand new we don't talk about Bruno projection show coming this February to Disneyland the projection show is going to be um on the small world it's a small world facade in Fantasyland in Disneyland I really hope they bring this to some other parks as well because I do think we need more Encanto in the parks There's been a price decrease on lightsabers and droids in the um, Savi's workshop in Galaxy's Edge in Disneyland. Now, we obviously last week spoke about how the Galactic Star Cruiser price has reduced, and it seems that the workshop is reducing as well. So maybe Disney are realising that whilst there's appetite for Star Wars in the parks, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars on a build-your-own lightsaber is a little bit unaffordable for most families. This is a bit of a weird one, a bit of a quirky one, and uh, very exciting There's some Mickey-shaped popcorn that's been unveiled at Disneyland. And what I mean by that is that the actual popcorn kernels themselves are Mickey-shaped. Now, on the one hand, I'm like, how on earth have they done that? If anyone who's made popcorn knows that it's very difficult to control the shape of a popcorn kernel, so that's fantastic. And then on the other hand, I'm like, how has it taken them this long to come up with that? Surely that's quite an obvious idea. And if it is pretty easy for them to do, I'm sure we'll see Mickey-shaped popcorn rolled out across all of the other parks and resorts. And we've also seen some more details and some Easter eggs revealed for Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway in Disneyland. It is going to be in Mickey's Toontown over in the main Disneyland park. And the Easter eggs are wonderful. If you've not seen this yet, I think D23 posted them on their Instagram account. It's classic Disney live action posters, things like Freaky Friday, Hocus Pocus and so on. But featuring Mickey and the gang. They're really, really cute. Definitely go check them out. And final thing for Disneyland, I did tell you that it was a busy, busy week. Again, Disney Wonder, a brand new nighttime spectacular, has been unveiled in Disneyland in California. Again, a celebration of 100 years of Disney. I honestly stop what you're doing I'd never say this about my own podcast I want you to stay here of course but please pause now and go on TikTok go on Instagram you have to see this to believe it I honestly couldn't believe my eyes there is a big hero six section of Disney wonder it's the fallout boy we could be immortals which is an incredible song anyway A giant Baymax in his sort of red hero outfit flies above the castle quite slowly. And then as the music stops, complete silence, a turbo like on his feet, like a jet almost, comes on and he whizzes across the sky. Now, it's obviously controlled by droids, or not droids, God, we're not in Star Wars, drones, I think. I don't care. It is honestly one of the most magnificent things I've ever seen. It's like the Tinker Bell from Magic Kingdom on steroids, right? This is amazing. Go and watch it. I really hope we have stuff like this in the other parks for Disney's 100 year.
1: It is such an exciting time at the moment. I love how much Disney 100 stuff that we're getting at the moment. <laughs> and uh that's it for parks this week but we do have some movie news so starting with avatar the way of water which has broken two billion dollars at the worldwide box office a huge huge amount of money and this does means that zoe saldana has become the first actor to appear in four movies that have earned more than two billion which is really quite an incredible feat so the other movies of course that she's been in that have achieved this are avatar the first one avengers infinity war and avengers Endgame so well done Zoe Soldana. and that's a huge achievement and it is also now the fourth highest grossing movie of all time and it has beaten Star Wars the first the Four, the first The Force Awakens and Mercedes will be giving a full review of Avatar The Way of Water at the end of this episode so do stay around for that and also it is getting towards Um, Academy Award season and Turning Red has been nominated for the best animated movie in the 95th Academy Awards. Let's see if it wins.
0: Let's see, indeed. And sticking with awards, heading over to some Marvel news Black Panther Wakanda Forever has been nominated for five Oscars. I mean, this is so exciting. The first Black Panther movie was the first ever Marvel movie to not just be nominated for an Oscar, but to actually win an Oscar. So it just shows again, you know, how the Black Panther movies are so much more than just your everyday superhero movies. They really are artful and very well regarded by critics. And Angela Bassett has actually made history also as the first ever actor in a Marvel movie to be nominated for an Oscar for her performance. And anyone who's seen the movie will not be surprised about that, I'm sure. Amazing.
1: Lots of firsts this week. And uh, something we don't normally report on is gaming. And Disney have revealed everything that is going to be coming to their game, Dreamlike Valley. And, the, and this includes Olaf and Kanto are going to be featured in it. And it's going to have a multiplayer option as well. I'm not a big gamer, so this is one that's definitely going to pass me by. Mercedes, I know you're a bit more into gaming than than I am, so I wonder if it's something that you might be interested in pursuing further down the line once it becomes available.
0: Yeah, well, Dreamlight Valley is available at the moment, but it's like, a, I think it's like a beta stage, so I haven't purchased it yet but I've seen lots of videos on TikTok and stuff that have made me curious and hearing that it's gonna become multiplayer very soon. Yeah, I I definitely would like like to check that out. Seems seems pretty good. And sticking again with Disney 100, we've got some UK Disney news for you this week. This is like a brand new section of the news um, and very, very exciting for those of you in the UK. There's a new event coming to London. It's a Disney 100 event. And the way that it's described, because it is very difficult to explain this, they say, Take a trip through Disney history as we celebrate 100 years with... Major new uh, with a major new immersive exhibition, and it's called Wonder of Friendship. The experience will be a journey through the friendships of Disney's best loved characters, taking place in a former office block, 180 The Strand. The show is going to feature a 1,000 square meters of installation, and um, that's all themed around Alice in Wonderland, Lilo and Stitch, The Lion King, Mickey and Friends. Visitors will be able to trip down Alice's rabbit hole and dance with Donald and Goofy. The whole thing's aimed at young adults, and visitors will be able to use QR codes to bring characters to life in augmented reality. The event's taking place between the 12th and 21st of May. It's not on sale at the moment, but if you are an H&M member, you can get early access at the moment. It's 18.50 per ticket. Now my sister actually works for H&M, so she has managed to secure us some tickets, which is really, really exciting. I just wanna stress with this one. It sounds really exciting, but I had a proper read of kind of what it is, the event description. I don't imagine this experience lasting longer than an hour. I think it's like a little pop in, similarly to what we saw with Mickey's 90, with the art exhibition that they had in London. The other thing as well that I think isn't that clear that I do think is really important to stress is that this is for over 18s only. And I can absolutely imagine lots of parents thinking, oh, my kids will love that. It's aimed at young adults. They say it in the blurb. It's a millennial sort of a Disney adult experience. It's it's QR codes and AI and, and, and augmented reality, lots of lights and things like that. So this isn't one for the children, but I'm going with my sister and really looking forward to it. So if you are intrigued, then if you sign up for an H&M member account, which I think actually is free to do, You can book those tickets ahead of time. And this one I'm really excited about. So here's some UK Disney news as well. Disney Parks UK, which is a relatively new concept, they have they have a social media account. Disney Parks UK covers Disneyland, Paris, Walt Disney World, and the Disney Cruise only, because they're typically the things that people from the UK do when, when, when they go to Disney Parks and Disney experiences. Disney Parks UK have posted to all of their social channels. And at the time of recording, it is Sunday, the 29th of January. They posted this today, saying that they're on the hunt for the biggest Disney fan in the UK, which obviously piqued up my interest. Apparently, more details are coming tomorrow, so Monday, the 30th, which is the day that this podcast goes out. So if you're listening to this right now, get on Disney Parks UK on their socials i've got no idea what this is but they are on the hunt for the biggest disney fan in the uk i'm definitely game i'm sure tash is i'm sure lots of our listeners are but yeah i i really want to know what that's all about
1: This is really, really intriguing. I'm definitely gonna get on this. Um, Yeah, I can't wait. And I'm sure we'll probably be talking about this, hopefully in the news next week, once we know a few more details. So if you're not able to access this on social media, then definitely tune in next week. And finally, oh, it has been a very, very long news week shop Disney they've done it again they've teamed up with black owned brand creative soul photography to reimagine the classic Disney princesses in a line of African inspired dolls and these diverse dolls will be available from February the 3rd which is just incredible obviously we have the I love you dolls which have just been brought out now available on shop Disney as well and I think now that they've done this it seems that they're really kind of I don't know going in with with merchandising these dolls and and making them more modern and seeing what they can do with them push the boundaries a little bit so I love 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 this idea so definitely go online and check them out and finally that concludes everything that has been happening in the world of Disney this week we're now going to move on to the main part of the episode talking all about the 10 experiences you must do at Disney so This is kind of following on from our little 10 things series. Last week, we did the 10 things that annoy us or anger us about Disney. And the previous week, we did 10 things that we love about Disney. So now we thought we'd make it more park related. And we're going to talk about the 10 things that you must do. Now, this may not be the most obvious thing as like watch a parade, go to a show meet mickey but it's going to be some of those things that you may not necessarily think of doing when you visit a disney park and things that will hopefully you know make your trip even more magical than it may already be so mercedes why don't you kick us off and share with us your first magical experience that must be tried at disney
0: Well, Tash, I'm afraid, you know, you you said there in the intro, they're not going to be obvious things. I have got Meet Mickey as my number one. I, I don't think it is that obvious, actually. I think for, you know, people like ourselves and our listeners that are real Disney devotees, you know, they know that you can't go to Disneyland without meeting Mickey. But I think a lot of people... Don't, don't meet Mickey. And I do think that it's an experience that you absolutely must do at Disney Park. Now, I do understand why people are put off by meeting Mickey, because often if we think about the Mickey meet and greet over in Fantasyland, in Disneyland Paris, or the Mickey meet and greet that is on uh, Main Street USA in Magic Kingdom, these meet Mickey meet and greets have like two hour, sometimes even more queues. And I do understand why that puts people off. So There are some other things that you can do to meet Mickey. Stay at a Disney hotel is a really easy one. Mickey's often just sort of perusing the foyer Hey, if you're not staying at a Disney hotel, just go into one, especially at Disneyland Paris, right? It's very easy to just walk into the Disney hotel en route into the park. And sometimes it's not even Mickey. Sometimes it's face characters. I've seen Rapunzel, Flynn, Tiana, Naveen, just sort of perusing the halls of the Disneyland hotel. So that's one sort of hack as to how you can meet Mickey without the two hour long queue. Another would be like a character dine. Another would be a show. Um, I know that's not meeting him, but if you want to see him, parades is obviously a really obvious one. So yeah, it doesn't have to be a two hour wait. But I do think that you have to meet Mickey. And I did want to mention it as number one today, because I think a lot of people don't.
1: Yeah I I think I think you are you are right it is a must do. I think what a lot of people do you know we spoke about the whole thing of childless disney fans last week. I think a lot of people go as adults maybe they go with their partner or a group of friends and they assume that meeting mickey and meeting minnie and meeting face characters or costume characters whatever in general is something for kids only, but it is not. If you fully go and embrace your inner child and you want to go and meet Mickey as an an adult going, an adult, an adult going to a Disney park without any children, embrace it, do it. Mickey's been meeting kids all day long. Mickey loves it when he meets an adult and the adults get really involved. Compliment him on his outfit. If he's wearing his sorcerer's apprentice robes, compliment him on that. They love it, honestly, you'll get such a good reception. So I think that even if it's not really your bag, I think just have fun with it. And honestly, the experience will really pay off.
0: I agree. And I actually did something that I never thought I would do on my Florida holiday. Honestly, since turning 30, I have no shame. I wear what I want to wear. I do what I want to do. I don't worry about being cool or trendy. Obviously, I've got Disney podcast. But I actually met Mickey on my own, which I was terrified of doing. And I, yeah, but I was like, my husband was refusing to queue to see Mickey and he is very good. I mean, he he's in that park at 6am till end of the day you know, he, he does everything. He embraces everything, but he was like, I really, he'd met some characters, but he was like, I'm really not feeling Mickey right now. So I left him at the baseline tap house with a pretzel and a beer. And it just so happens that it's literally opposite the Mickey meet and greet at Hollywood studios. The line was like half an hour, but you heard it here first, top tip, character lines are always wrong. Ride lines, attraction lines are always wrong. They're normally quicker than they say. If it says forty-five minutes, you're probably going to be off the ride in about forty minutes. If it's a face character or a fur character, it doesn't matter. A character meet and greet, and it says half an hour. Allow at least an hour. They are always always slower than they say. It's very difficult for them to get an accurate pulse of that because obviously some people spend longer and and whatever. So yeah, it said half an hour, but I think it was about an hour in total. And I did it. I met Mickey on my own. And I was a little bit awkward. Like when I was in the queue, I was really embarrassed because I was like, people are looking at me. And like, I just I really was embarrassed. But when I met Mickey, I actually didn't care. And you can give your phone to like the attendant that's with Mickey and they'll take pictures. And I've got a lovely picture of Mickey. And, and also that was a really good meet and greet to do as well, because it was Mickey and Minnie. And I feel like an hour for both of them. It's quite good. And it's not just, they're not together. It's like you go and see Mickey and then you come out and then you wait for a bit longer and then you see Minnie. So, yeah, whatever you are, an adult, a child, whatever, you've got to see Mickey.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a that's a very good, good way of putting it. I haven't actually personally met Mickey or Minnie or any character on my own. But that does lead me to my first experience that you must try. And I know this may not be possible for everyone, but it is going solo, going to a Disney park on your own. I'm such an advocate for this. I'm so proud of you Mercedes because you did this for the first time when you went to Walt Disney World in September, October last year. Um, it's something that I had never done until I started going to Shanghai Disneyland. I was a season pass holder. So I used to just pop down in the morning if I had nothing to do. It took about 45, 50 minutes on the metro. Um, and I used to just sit and get a coffee. I'd get breakfast and I'd sit in front of the castle and just people watch. I would go on attractions by myself as well. A lot of the time you can obviously take advantage of single riders so you can get on things very, very quickly. But it really just changes your whole experience of things. And I think what it does is, one, it makes you appreciate all the finer details. You're not distracted by talking to anyone else. So you can really kind of take in all the finer details of, of the park. And also it makes people uh, like seem really friendly. You know, if, if there's, you know, cast members that see you on your own as you head for a ride queue, then they're more likely to well, maybe not more likely, but they will make an effort to talk to you. I've done Hong Kong Disneyland on my own and it was the same thing. People, when I was waiting to watch the parade by myself, random families just started talking to me because I was on my own and I had some really nice conversations. I did Tokyo Disney on my own main park as well. And again, that was a a nice experience. I only did a half day there, but I just think it's something really worth doing. The other good thing as well is you haven't got to go by what anyone else wants to do. If you're going with someone who is maybe not a huge Disney fan, you haven't got to worry about maybe... I don't know, them kind of dragging you down with their lack of enthusiasm or wondering if you're, you know, going too fast or doing too much for them. And are they going to want to break and kind of take time out? If you're going with a big group of people, then or, you know, if you normally go with a big group of people and then you go on your own, you haven't got to worry about pleasing other people. You can literally do exactly what you want, eat where you want, spend as much time as you want, looking at the finer details, looking at the castle. I really, really recommend it. If you go with a family family. Maybe if you've got kids and you've got a partner, maybe send the partner off with the kids for a couple of hours and just have a morning wandering around by yourself. Trust me, it's absolutely worth it.
0: Yeah, this is a great one, Tash. And I think a little bit off piece. I don't think many people probably think about this. Interestingly, you know, we're all different. It would be boring if we were all the same. I don't think I could go to a Disney park on my own as a holiday or like what I mean by that is the day that I spent in the Magic Kingdom on my own, and I still maintain that it was the best day of my life, so I definitely advocate for this, but that was an additional day. I'd already had two days in the Magic Kingdom that were kind of timetabled in our holiday, and I'd done all of the attractions, I'd done everything. So that was just a day where my husband was playing golf. The original plan was that I was going to go with him, But I didn't realize that you had to pay just to spectate at Disney golf clubs, which I'm not doing that, obviously. So he was really understanding. He was like, to be honest, I'll probably have more fun if you're not there. And I was like, "Okay, fair. So if you actually don't mind, I'm just going to get the monorail over to Magic Kingdom. And that was why it was great, because I wasn't having to be like, oh, I haven't done Splash Mountain. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. I'm a, I'm a very different person. I am an extrovert, but I also, I don't, I don't like my own company that much. It's nice on occasion, but generally speaking, I don't like being by myself. And there's no way I could spend like a whole day at a park that either, I'm really struggling to articulate what I mean. What I mean is like as an actual important day. So like if it was my one day at Magic Kingdom or my one day at Animal Kingdom or my one day at Disneyland Paris and you want to get everything done, I actually don't think I could do that. I I, I think, again, I'd feel weird. Like I, I said, even in the queue to like Mickey and Minnie, I felt odd, like people were judging me. And I would definitely feel like that if I was like in line for a ride by myself. So I guess what, what I'm trying to say is like, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, God, no, I could never do that. It doesn't have to be like you go to the park all day. It could be what Tash said, like you literally just go in the morning and have a croissant by yourself. Like, and that's how I did it. I did some shopping. I had some snacks. I caught the end of the um, Friendship Fantasy Fair show, which I'd already seen, but absolutely love. I caught like a small little cavalcade. I bumped into Anastasia and Drizella Tremaine who had no line. So I think that as like a, a gateway as it were, If you're not ready to like do the full on Disney park day by yourself, because I don't think I would could ever do that. I I think I would find it. I don't know. I don't think I'd enjoy it, but you can definitely just have a morning. And hey, we're very privileged, right? Tash lived in Shanghai and had a season pass, so she was able to go and do that. I was in the the uh well, wasn't in Magic Kingdom for two weeks, that would be very boring. I was in Walt Disney World for two weeks and had some extra time. So I do appreciate that these are privileged um positions to be in. But yeah, if it's you know, you're going to Orlando and you're factoring in a pool day, maybe say to your partner, Hey, you know that pool day, like I might head over to Magic Kingdom. And I say this now, but obviously if I had children, I don't know, would I feel guilty? being in disneyland on my own soaking up the atmosphere i don't know but yeah there are kind of different levels to this is what i'm trying to say so don't freak out just give it a try even if it's an hour give it a try
1: yeah definitely and i think it will obviously be something that i i don't want to do when i when i go with theo and start going to parks with him as he gets older but what i am going to do is when we go in march for his birthday um, i am going to get benji to take him back to the hotel for bedtime one night and then i'm going to spend a little bit of time in the evening in the park on on my own just wandering around because i love the parks at night and it will yeah it will just mean i can fully kind of enjoy it a little bit more and all the finer details so okay that's number 2 mercedes what have you got next
0: so my next one and i kind of touched this uh, upon this earlier when i was talking about my husband and how he like fully commits to disney And this one is very controversial as well. There's going to be people listening to this like, no, I could never. And that's fine. We're all different and we all have different Disney holidays, different Disney experiences. But something that I really advocate for and and, and that I think that everybody (laughs) should experience at least once is staying in the park all day. And what I mean by that is getting there at rope drop or even before so that you really are in there early and staying till the end. Now, This isn't something that I think people, you know, I do think everybody should experience this once, but I'm going to be completely honest, open book. This isn't something that I've experienced once or twice or even three times. This is how I do Disney. And actually, when I think about, you know, the prospect of going with a family in the future, I panic because I'm like, are they going to have the stamina to be able to keep up with me and my husband, these children? I tend to lean on yes, they have to, they're being boarded into this family. And I remember when I was a little girl, the reason that I do it is because that's what my parents did with me. We were in for extra magic hours in the morning and we stayed till the end of the fireworks. I could do it as a kid. So my kids will be doing it too. And I know that's probably controversial because people are, oh, but they need nap time or whatever, whatever. I don't know. My kids are going to be made of stronger stuff. My husband and I... I know it's not for everyone, but every single day of our Orlando holiday, and I know people are probably listening to this like, God, that doesn't sound like a holiday. That sounds like hell. But the alarm went off at 6 a.m. We were leaving the hotel at 7 to be one of the first in the park. And I actually heard my husband say this uh, two nights ago. We were at a friend's house who had just been to Disneyland Paris. And honestly, I was so proud. I almost cried. He said to them, you get more done in the first three hours than you do for the rest of the day. And I was like, oh, my God, he he's he is now a level of Disney expert. He doesn't even know. But he is a pro because I've whipped him into shape. And it is so, so true. If you get there for rope drop. And as I say, before rope drop, because if you get there at rope drop, all the people that want to be in the park at rope drop are already queuing and it's backed up. You need to get there. I'd say half an hour before the Extra Magic Hour starts. So if Extra Magic is half eight, you want to be aiming to get there about eight o'clock because they do let you in early. You just can't ride anything. If you do that, I guarantee you will smash out all of the big hitter attractions before lunchtime. And then guess what? You can have a leisurely lunch. You can watch the parade. You can have a bit of a meander. You can look at the queue for Crush's Coaster, which is in excess of three hours and think, thank goodness we did that this morning. And that's what I love. And then, of course, you know, you've got to stay till the end because of the nighttime spectacular and so on. I appreciate this is controversial. Everyone I know that goes to Florida builds pool days into their agenda. And if they're doing the fireworks, it will be after a long, relaxing day, a lion, and then they'll just drive in for the fireworks. But that's not like how I, that's that's not how I do Disney. And it's not just Disney. This is my husband and I with anything. Um, we're, we're like it when we ski. And again, we, we were having this conversation with some friends and, and he was talking about skiing, but he said, you know, he he went skiing recently and there was a horrendous blizzard, like really, really bad, unsafe conditions. Um, most of the lifts were starting to close. And the group of people that my husband was with went back early because they were like, I'm not going to ski in that. And, and I probably would say a similar thing, right? But my husband who, you know, Disney is to me as skiing is to him. That's the only way I can put it. He said, nah, no, no way. It's my last day and skiing in this weather is better than being at my desk tomorrow. And I'm going to be at my desk tomorrow. And that's how I look at Disney. I'm going to be tired. Of course, I'm going to be tired. But in a week from now, when I'm sat at my desk working, I'm going to wish that I had maximized every single minute of that trip and and I would say this is particularly relevant to me when I think about Walt Disney World because I don't go very frequently my trip last year was the first trip I'd taken in 10 years right so I don't know when I'm going to be back and that was very much my attitude when I went in October I don't know the next time I'm going to be there so I wanted to eke out every single minute that I could highly controversial for some I'm sure but I think it's got to be done at least once
1: I completely agree I think it's Again, it's the only way to do Disney parks. Really, I will happily spend all day from minute of opening or rope drop until the minute the park closes in the parks. Unfortunately for me, my husband, who is the person I tend to go with to Disney these days, is not the same, and he is not a morning person. So trying to get him up at the crack of dawn for for rope drop or for park opening is quite a feat. He will do it, but he doesn't enjoy it, and then it's the thing of. Finding the balance of do you want to go in all day or do you want to be with someone who's really, really grumpy? So this is why I am now very excited. that I have a child that I can go with because children, they get up early. They will go into the parks with me. He can come in later. And especially at the moment while Theo's young, because he's got a pram so he can nap in the park. It's a dream. It's ideal. And also, I don't think I think people think uh, the idea of this to a lot of people is very full on and intense. But what it does allow you to do is have down moments. You can go and sit and have a coffee in the shade for an hour and take a load off and then you're feeling more refreshed after that. I think sometimes and don't get me wrong. I do like having like a split day where you go into the park and then you go back to the hotel and then you go back in again. That's how we always did California when I was younger. But we would always have a day, one day at least where it was morning right through until the end where we wouldn't do that. So I do value that. I do think that that is a nice way to do it. But then also I think sometimes the effort of going back to your hotel and then coming back in is almost more tiring and exhausting than just staying in the park and thinking, okay, let's take take some downtime. Let's sit here for an hour. And then if you have got anyone in your group that wants to go off, they can go off on their own. So, you know, two experiences you must try in, in one year. So, yeah, I think that, as you say, may
0: be controversial to some, but I think this is a great one. I do too. Obviously, that's why I said it. But I do think it's controversial. I think one thing to know, and I I kind of did caveat this the the whole way through while I was talking, but it very much depends on how much time you've got and where you are as well, which Disney park you're in. Like Tash just mentioned California there. It's very easy to do that in California because you can walk to your hotel. Florida is what I'm thinking of specifically here. And Florida seems to be the one where, you know, people go, all the kids need breaks. Because it's a lot, right? There's four different Disney parks, two Disney water parks, plus you've got all the Universal stuff. There's a Legoland. There's, there's a lot there. But, I mean, getting out of the Magic Kingdom, getting out of the Magic Kingdom, just into the rest of Walt Disney World's the best part of half an hour. Getting back to your destination, especially if you're staying off-site, that's a good hour like and then if you want to go back i i would actually very you know if you if you want to have a pool day in the morning and going and go into the magic kingdom in the evening for fireworks fine or you want to have an early start but then leave you know when the crowds start to flow in fine but anyone that's thinking about going to florida going to the park, going back to the hotel for a nap and going back to the park. No, I wouldn't recommend that to anyone. I also wouldn't recommend park hopping. So, you know, Epcot in the morning, Animal Kingdom in the evening, or you'd never do that because Animal Kingdom closes early. But you know what I mean? Like, it's fine, I think, if it's two adults. My husband and I did a bit of park hopping. But with a family, you think you're doing them a favour But I agree with Tash I think the upheaval (laughs) is actually worth you know trying to get everyone together rounded up the traveling I think it's just easier to stay where you are absolutely (laughs) moving swiftly on Tash so next up I've got I mean I
1: said you know no obvious ones but I have got a maybe a semi-obvious one here but again probably not to the more novice Disney fans and it is character dining so again Going back to thinking about those meet and greets with with Mickey, that you know the must do that Mercedes talked about in the beginning, character dining is obviously a really really easy way to meet characters without queuing, and it is an amazing experience as well. You have so much fun with it. Again, don't assume that this is something for only for people that go with 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 kids and children. If you embrace it, it's so much fun. Mercedes and I, went when we went to Disneyland Paris in January, we did the Inventions Brunch at the Disneyland Hotel and it was for grown women of nearing the age of 30. And it was incredible. It was such a fun experience. The characters really embraced it. They really, I think, enjoyed that we interacted with them so much. Mercedes and our friend Steph got up and did a dance with with Mickey at one point. They taught him a little routine that they knew. And I think that for for Mickey, that's really refreshing. It's not him just going up to children who are maybe shy or a bit scared. I think they love having Disney adults in, in this way. So, yeah, character dining, there's so many options for it. Now, I understand that character dining is not always, you know, cheap and it's not always possible for everyone. It can be expensive. But I think if you kind of factor it into your overall budget cost in terms of things like meal and merchandise and things like that I think that in place of maybe merchandise I think that and souvenirs I think that character dining is a huge one you get so many lovely photos from it so yeah character dining is a must to if you can't do it now add it to your Disney bucket list why not
0: I agree. And do a breakfast. That's always my hack. If it's budget that you're concerned about, do a breakfast because breakfast is always cheaper than lunch and dinner for any meal, but definitely for character dining. I heard a great tip the other day, actually on 37 Disney Street, they were talking about the buffet restaurants at Disneyland Paris. And their top tip is to go at like 11, because then you get both meals because, you, because it's buffet. It starts off as a buffet breakfast and then there's like a changeover at lunchtime. So if you time it at the right time, the buffets, you can get like breakfast and then lunch. So you get like double the options, which is quite cool. But yeah, character dining is something that I've advocated for, for like my entire life. We did it a lot as kids and it is expensive. But what do I always say about Disney? It's always a compromise between time and money. And this comes with anything, where you stay, the proximity you are to... The parks and resorts, anything like that. Unfortunately, you can't have both. It's time or money. And the alternative to not doing character dining is waiting, you know, an hour to see Belle two hours to see Cinderella and Aurora at the Princess Pavilion, an hour to see Tiana, whereas you could see all of those princes princesses at Cinderella's Royal Table in Magic Kingdom, you know, and, and you don't have to wait at all. So time and money, there's always, you, you have to pick one and you have to pick what's important to you. If characters are not important to you, fine, don't worry about it. Don't do a character dine. But if you want to see characters, I do think character dining is a really good way to do it. I also think it's more affordable than ever before because now we have the genie plus for characters so you can pay to skip the queue for a character i mean why on earth would anyone do that when yeah okay it's way more affordable but let's say it's i don't know 15 euros to do that and you're a family of four you've just spent the best part of 60 euros to see mickey quicker you could have just gone for your breakfast and yeah all right it would be more but like at least you're having a nice breakfast and you're not just seeing mickey you're seeing mickey Minnie, donald whoever Daisy Goofy so yeah I've always been an advocate for for character dining and I think that's a really good one Tash
1: absolutely okay so we're on number five I believe now
0: yeah, I think we'll go with that. Um, Sticking in a similar th- vein, um, I'm going to go with dining packages. So not character dining specifically, but a dining package. I think this is a really good hack and I think everybody should experience it once. And again, it's going to be dependent on where you are, what shows are available and also like how frequently you go to the Disney parks. But if you're going to a Disney park or resort that you've never been to before or one that you go to very infrequently and there's a show that you definitely want to see and you would like preferred seating for, again, there is now the option of paying Genie Plus if you want to. But a better alternative in my eyes is doing a dining package. And there's lots of different kinds of dining packages available. I myself have done the dining package at Fantasmic. Um, and that's at the, uh, the Fantasmic Dining Package, rather. And that's at Disneyland in the main Disneyland park. The reason I did that, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, is there's no amphitheater. It's just in Frontierland. So getting that perfect view is very, very difficult. And a dining package is an easy way to do that. And I was only in Disneyland for a couple of days. So I wanted to make sure I had a really good view. There are different levels for something like the Fantasmic Dining Package. So there's the premium option, which I can't remember what restaurant that was at then there's kind of a mid-range option and then there's like a cheap sort of quick dine option I don't think I went for the premium option I went to Blue Bayou which is like Blue Lagoon at Disneyland Paris which has recently been renamed Captain Jack's but is basically the Pirates of the Caribbean ride restaurant so we did that. We had a three course meal there. You do have a condensed menu. And I think there was only one option of dessert, which was like a glazed sort of mirror glazed chocolate bomb. Um, and it was a phantasmic Mickey, obviously, or Fantasia Mickey. So, yes, dining packages are good. Dessert parties are another thing that exists. So I know for like World of Colour at Disneyland and also the fireworks at Magic Kingdom or World of Colour at Disney's California Adventure, I should say then I know that dessert parties are an option. And that's basically where you're on like a balcony or a terrace somewhere where you've got a really, really good view of the show. It's like a private area. And either before or after the show, there's like a dessert buffet and you can eat unlimited dessert. And I think sometimes they include a complimentary glass of bubbles in that as well. So lots of different options with dining packages. They're not that well advertised. So definitely depending on which park you're going to and what shows are available, Do a bit of research, dig around. But if you want to make sure you've got the best possible view, do not pay for Genie Plus. Please, please get a dining package. It's much better and it is expensive, but it's a really good thing to do.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And there are so many amazing options. I mean, we talk about food all the time on this podcast, so... The, the options are endless when it comes to food. Um, the next one I'm gonna go with is staying in a Disney hotel, which we've kind of already touched upon in terms of meeting characters and things like that. But again, it can be expensive, but if you are able to, then there are so many reasons why it does make so much more sense than staying offsite. Obviously it's accessible. I mean, you've got to again, consider where you're staying, what park you're at here. Obviously, if you're in California, it's walkable. Disneyland, Paris, same thing. If you're in Walt Disney World, then obviously that is a huge, huge area. So it's not walkable. Depending on where you're staying, of course, you probably are going to have to get public transport or not public. What do I call it? It's not really public transport because it's like park transport, isn't it? Is there a name yeah. for
0: it? I don't know. I I like, yeah, I don't know.
1: <laughs> anyway, a Disney bus or or the monorail, that's kind of what I mean. Um, but I think that you—it's—it's just so much worth m- more worth your while is what I'm trying to say than saying offsite. I stayed offsite in Walt Disney World, so I have done both, and it was fine. And obviously, it was a lot cheaper than doing it at the time. But we didn't get any, you know, any any perks like mag- extra Magic Hours weren't included. We didn't get any food vouchers or anything like that. That wasn't an offer to us. And I know that dining packages and things like that have changed significantly since the pandemic. Um, so that's not always included now. But I just think that it makes it so much easier. And also you have that extra magic. Now, when I stayed off site at Walt Disney World, it was a partner hotel. So we did still have some elements of magic there. There were, you know, for example, there were oh, Mickey was on my room key, for for example. And they did a free um, shuttle bus into um, the transport centre. Um, at Walt Disney World every day so there were little things like that um, but you just didn't have that kind of extra Disney magic and I feel like if you're staying at a Disney hotel then you're you know that you're going to have you know a pretty nice hotel and there are obviously different levels you can stay at you know in terms of family family friendly and more affordable hotels and then more luxury hotels as well um but yeah I just think that it, it can make the experience a lot a, a, a lot more magical, I would say, and just again more immersive and kind of really kind of keep you in that Disney bubble than having to make the effort to travel off site. So that would be one that I would say is is a big one if you're going did it, going to Disney and you're not sure where you should stay and if it's worth the money staying in a Disney hotel. I would say that yes, it absolutely is. Spend a little bit more and uh, yeah, really kind of get into the experience of of incorporating Disney into every aspect of your trip.
0: Yeah, great tips. I mean, I've I've stayed on site and off site for, with the exception of Shanghai and Disneyland, actually. So basically, just Walt Disneyland and Paris, I've stayed on site and off site. So I've experienced both. We should make like a little on site off site cheat sheet because I think there are sort of. Different circumstances that kind of depending on them, for me, it's a no brainer on whether or not you should. Disneyland Paris, I'm almost always going to say on site, it's in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) You can drive there, but there's car parking charges. The car park's a bit of a nightmare. And let's not forget that Disneyland Paris is still the only Disney resort in the world where if you stay on site, you get entry into the parks included in the cost of your ticket which means especially if you're going off peak January February March it's very unlikely you're going to actually find a deal I've been looking um, even for Christmas time I'm hoping to go this Christmas I don't know who's going whether it's just going to be me and my husband or if we're going to go with family I've got no idea but I wanted to look at my options and so I've been looking at Airbnbs And the Airbnbs are dirt cheap. They're so, so cheap. And they're like a five minute drive to the parks, like super, super simple. But as soon as you add the Disney tickets on and you've got to pay for four days, right? Because that's the other thing. If you do two nights at a Disney hotel at Disneyland Paris, you're going to get three days into the park because they factor in your arrival and your departure day and they include that if you start costing up the disney park tickets it's it's it can't be done it cannot be done even with the dirt cheap airbnb the disney tickets just bump the price up so so much that the disney hotel actually becomes more affordable which is crazy so disneyland paris i i think in very very limited circumstances for example If you're an annual pass holder, stay off site, definitely, because the cost of the hotel on its own is very, very expensive and you don't need the park ticket. So annual pass holders for Disneyland Paris definitely stay off site. Apart from that, I I really can't see any circumstance where I would tell somebody to stay off site for Disneyland Paris. Walt Disney World's a really difficult one. It depends on what offers are available. If there's any kind of dining, definitely stay at Disney because food is so expensive. If you can get a dining plan or even a dining credit included stay on site. There's other things as well. You know, are you a theme park person or is it Disney? If you're just into theme parks and you're definitely going to go to Universal for a couple of days and you're definitely going to do SeaWorld, you're definitely going to do Busch Gardens, that's going to weigh in a little bit. A car as well. If you've got a car, do not stay at Disney because they charge you or they did, not anymore. They used to charge you just to park at the hotel. But also again, you know, if you've got the car, You don't need to stay on site. If you can't drive or you don't have a car, you definitely want to stay on site because you want to make use of those Disney buses and so on. As Tash just mentioned, she was staying off site but had to go to the ticket and transportation center every day, which is fine, but it just adds a little bit more time. So, you know, staying on site is amazing, but depending on where you're going, Shanghai Disneyland is another good example. I can't imagine a time where I would tell someone to stay off site because there aren't any other hotels really in the immediate area. And um, Disneyland in California, however, I would almost always say stay off site because there are hotels that literally are closer to the parks than the Disney ones just because of the way that the park is there. So yeah, I, we we need to make some kind of like, you know, like you'd have in like Cosmo Girl when you were 12, like if you mostly picked A or if you mostly picked B or some kind of decision tree, because it can be a difficult one, a, a difficult decision to make depending on your circumstances. But yeah, I mean, everyone should stay on site at least once. It is a magical experience. It does enhance your holiday in so many ways. It's very difficult to articulate. It's just a really lovely, pleasurable experience. Yeah, maybe we should do a whole episode
1: on this because you, you do make valid points there. And, you know, like California, I've only ever stayed off site there and stayed in a bunch of hotels. So there are hotels that we could probably recommend. So maybe we should do a whole episode about this in at some point in the future, because I'm sure there's a lot we could say on it. Um, OK, I'm completely lost as to, to where we are. Um,
0: I think it's your It's your turn. I think. I went first so this has got to be an odd. So I feel like this is number 7 or Yeah. Maybe... Yeah, number 7 I feel. Yeah, we'll go with number 7. Okay. So my next tip is tours. So slightly different to a Disney dining package there are an array of different tours that are available. Now, this one is definitely a tip for the big, big Disney fan. I wouldn't say this to somebody if it was their first time going to a Disney park with their family. But if you've done Disney a few times and you're looking for something a bit different, something extra to give you the edge and shake up your trip a little bit, there are so many different types of tours that are available. I've only ever done one. I did the Walking Walt's Footsteps tour at Disneyland, which talks about, you know, the history of Disneyland when it was made, but also the fact that Walt had had been there. It's the only Disney park that he ever went to. And the reason I really wanted to do it, I'll be completely honest, I didn't actually learn anything on the tour, but I really wanted to go into the apartment above the fire station on Main Street. And you get to do that at the end of the tour, which was really an amazing once in a lifetime experience that I'll never, ever, ever forget. There's a really famous one called Keys to the Kingdom, and that's Magic Kingdom. And you get to go underground and see like the travel corridors that they have which is really really cool there's also some at like animal kingdom where you can go and feed animals and pet animals and go to some sort of Uh, behind-the-scenes areas to see how the animals are cared for. And after watching The Magic of Disney's Animals on Disney+, Plus, I definitely think I'd be keen to do that. I love learning about the kind of conservation efforts and the vets that they have on site and that side of Animal Kingdom. I find that really interesting. So, yeah, there's loads of different ones. Epcot have them. Disneyland have them. They're, They're in most Disney parks. So if you are planning a trip and you want to do something special, maybe it's a birthday or an anniversary or you'd like to gift an experience to somebody, a tour is a really, really good way to do that. And then of course, if money is no object, which I'm sure for lots of our listeners, it it probably is, it certainly is for me. But if it's not, if the sky's the limit, you can get a personalized VIP tour guide. Now at Disneyland, these have been going since the day the park opened. They wear that very traditional, classic red plaid outfit. And they've worn that since, as I say, since its inception. And these tour guides stay with you for a fixed amount of time. They're charged hourly, I believe. And I think you can have up to 10 people in a group so if you're going with a big group of friends it might be an option to split the cost and the really exciting thing about the tour guide is that they'll plan your day for you so they'll recommend what attractions and shows and rides and all that kind of stuff experiences that you should you should have based on your interests and what your favorite Disney movie is and if you like thrill rides or you like water rides or you don't like rides and then they basically escort you around the resort taking you to those things and you don't have to queue you get on straight away I should also mention that sometimes as part of tours you get to go on attractions so as part of my Walk in Walt's Footsteps tour, we went on all of the classic Disney attractions that were there from the opening. So things like Alice's um, Dark Ride in Fantasyland, the Tiki Room and so on. And again, as if you're going as part of a tour, you don't have to queue. So that's another thing just to point out as well
1: amazing yeah I haven't done a tour but the walking waltz footsteps tour is very high on my Disney bucket list and I'm hoping that I'll be able to do it next year when we go to Disneyland California with my family so another one that I haven't actually done myself in the parks but I have done it outside of the parks is Disney bounding so if you aren't familiar with Disney bounding it is essentially going to the park, not in costume, but in clothes inspired by a Disney character. So you could take inspiration by what they wear, by the colours that they wear, and... Yeah, it's just a way of kind of paying homage to your favorite Disney characters without actually going in costume. Of course, once you get to a certain age, you cannot go into the parks in, you know, a Princess Cinderella dress. For for example, I don't even know if they would make one of those in my size. But, for example, you would not be allowed to go in in a costume that is too close to any of the characters. Unless it's Halloween, then they do make exceptions around that time. But Disney bounding is, is a huge thing and it's a big movement. Um, on social media if you follow the Disney Bound or Disney Bound UK there's lots of ideas on there of how you can incorporate your favourite characters into what you wear. I've only done it once when I went to see the release of the live action Beauty and the Beast. I went in Shanghai and I went to the midnight showing and I went in a Belle inspired ensemble so I did my hair like she does I kind of curled it and then did it in the little bun at the back and then I wore like a blue denim dress and under that I wore a white shirt. So kind of taking tribute from her, I don't know what you call it, like her blue outfit, I want to call it. They're not rags. Obviously. I call not it rags. her um, I think a lot of people call it provincial bell. Yeah, provincial bell. I think that is, yeah, that is what people refer to. Rags. It's not rags at all. Um, but yeah, that's so that's what I did. And then we did Disney bounding for Mercedes hen party, which was really fun. And a lot of people were not familiar with it at all. And it was really fun kind of planning it without Mercedes knowledge and kind of helping people decide what character they should be. or be. So, for example, Mercedes mother-in-law, Julia, she is not really into Disney, had never been to a Disney park before and she really didn't know who to go as. She wasn't aware of what Disney Bounded was, but she's very into fitness. So I think it was Mercedes' mum actually suggested that she go as Mrs. Incredible. And so she went in kind of red leggings, had a red top. And I think she had some elements of black in her outfit as well. So kind of taking those colors from Mrs. Incredible. Um, We had someone go as Cruella. We had another Belle we decided to make Mercedes a Disney bound for herself without her knowing. So we uh, made her princess bride, Jasmine, um, which I can't really remember how. I think we told you to bring a white dress, didn't we? And then we got the accessorized accessorized accessories for you, and um, which is really fun. And Mercedes didn't know that we were doing Disney bounding on the head party. Obviously, I was there, but the plan was that everyone would get their Disney bounding outfit on and just kind of see how long it would take Mercedes to kind of work out that that's what the theme of, of the day was. Um, but yeah, it's something that I really recommend doing and. I'm doing it when we go in March for my son's first birthday. I've got big plans for Disney bounding. I'm trying to encourage Benji, my husband, to get on board with it as well. But uh, it's taking some convincing at the moment. He's not into fancy dress and he's not even this is, you know, fancy dress in its most basic terms. You could literally go in like. I don't know black trousers and a red top and say that you were doing a Mickey bound like this really really simple ways to do it and uh, yeah encourage the whole family to get on board as well so yeah Disney bounding is is a big one and I think once you start doing it it's really fun to spot people around the parks that are doing it and I sometimes think the real subtle or the more niche the better like people that pay homage to really really niche characters I love spotting that
0: yeah, absolutely. I, I've done it a couple of times. Obviously, you mentioned my hen there. I, I did a Disney, an aerial Disney bound in my last holiday. I did a Princess Jasmine Disney bound once when I was going to see Aladdin in the West End. So, yeah, I like doing it and I like it when it's subtle and, you know, a cast member or a guest notices. It's funny, Tash, with you saying about your husband, could you not subtly because we this was actually an accident It's going to sound like I did this on purpose, but I promise this was an accident. I wore a Princess Jasmine Disney... uh, No, sorry, an Ariel Disney bound on our first day because I packed too many clothes and we were just popping into Disney Springs to get dinner. And I was like, I'll just chuck this outfit on because I don't know when I'm going to wear it. It's one of the rogue sort of extra ones. And I wore a high neck sleeveless lilac top from Zara with a dark sort of emerald green dress over the top and um, that was kind of cut off from the neck. So you could see the lilac and the green. And then I had a handbag that's a shell. So it was aerial. And I had I had aerial ears as well. So, you know, it's quite obvious. But my husband, and I swear to God, this was an accident, was wearing cut-off shorts, because that's like what he lives in, and they were blue and he had a white t-shirt on. And we went into chicken guy, and the girl that served us went, Oh, everyone, Eric. And he was like, no, I'm just wearing a white t-shirt, navy, like blue shorts. So could you not subtly like try and encourage him to wear like, for example, say you were wearing like a pink jumper dress and, you know, Theo is in like a little Tigger onesie. Could you not be like, oh, Benji, why don't you wear your yellow t-shirt today? (laughs)
1: By the way, you wear your yellow trousers and your red t-shirt. Yeah,
0: but it's I think- funny. I, sorry, I just cut you off there, but I just remembered something really funny about your husband. <laughs> you remember when we were in China and he had, <laughs> he had a green t-shirt and brown trousers and he looked like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo? I do remember, yeah.
1: He, I, like years and years ago, does dress better now. But years and years ago, we always had this thing, and I can't remember how it started. But he used to like bound as a sweet, as like a piece of candy, and I can't remember the outfit that started it. But I think it was, I think he was wearing dark brown chinos and then a light brown. Top, and then <laughs> he looked like a cola bottle. Oh, yeah. And then there like was another time in. that he looked like something I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was like a literal sort of something, and yeah. it became like a running joke. Why don't to, you like, try what, and get a bit of that back? Yeah, I, I, I should. I think, I think it would be easy to get him to Disney Bound as, as like a prince or, or someone that wears, you know, quite like. Well, I mean, princes don't really wear generic clothing, but like Eric, for example, you know, yeah. white jeans white white top and then I'll just subtly hand him like a red belt or something
0: to like really tie I it together I need to see that and I need for Theo to be Sebastian <laughs>
1: Well, this is this is in the plan, so uh, yeah, stay tuned. I'll, I'll talk about so it more exciting. as for for the plan the Paris trip.
0: Absolutely, but yeah, if you're listening and you want to get involved, my absolute favorite ever Disney Bounder, go and give it a Google. Her name is um, Damfino, which is D A M for mother, and then F I N for November O, and she lives in California. If you type in Damfino Disney Bound, she's done some amazing Disney Bound. She did Princess Atta. She She had like a gorgeous lilac kind of ball gown with like the crown that Atta wears that's kind of made out of leaves. She did Belle in her green outfit, which I love. Um, and, you know, it is it is basically a costume, but it's a short version of the green dress that she's had made. So there would be no mistaking that she was like the actual Belle or anything like that. Um, she's done loads of different things. She's done Ariel's kind of town outfit, the blue outfit that we see. Snow White is a favourite. She's done lots of different iterations of Snow White because she does have dark hair. just Princess Leia. She's done lots of the Marvel characters, even things like Lando Calrissian. So definitely go have a look at Dan Fino there's a guy in California as well it's a black guy and I can't remember his name and I see him on TikTok and he does very sort of flamboyant campy outfits and he videos himself watching the parade and the characters always comment and he'll do like a Mary Poppins bound or a Tinkerbell bound and yeah I can't remember his name which is so so annoying but he always comes up on my TikTok and I love his looks as well.
1: Perfect okay so we're at our final two so Mercedes what is your last
0: one? So number nine, and we have spoken about food a lot. It wouldn't be the Chat Disney podcast without me mentioning food. But I really do think that my this is my ultimate experience. If you are going to a Disney park, I want you to experience the best of Disney park cuisine. You do not have to go to a theme park and eat puffy pizzas and nuggets and fries and hot dogs. If you want to, be my guest. I did not mean for that to, you know like be our guest but there we are i know for example that ryan and dan on the theme park trader podcast i'm sure they won't hate me for saying this but they don't have very adventurous palettes they once joked about making a nug finder app for your iphone so you could see where the closest nugs were in a disney park like they love the kind of you know traditional theme park fare. but for other people including myself that are a bit of foodies and don't want to waste money you know i'm going to be spending an awful lot of money on food in disney parks anyway I don't want to spend $20 on a mediocre burger. I want something substantial that's delicious that's going to hit the spot. So there's a whole plethora of Disney food content for you to enjoy. My favorite is Disney Food Blog. If you're going to Walt Disney World, they sometimes touch on Disneyland as well. Unfortunately, there is a bit of a gap in the market for Disneyland Paris food content. Maybe I should stand in and fulfill that gap. I think the reason is probably because the food's not that good at Disneyland Paris, but then my argument would be that, We need it even more because the food's not good. We really need help to navigate what items are worth it and which items are not. So yeah, if you're going to a Disney park, obviously if you're a picky eater or your kids are picky eaters, whatever, but if you are somebody who's a little bit more adventurous with their cuisine and their taste buds want something a little bit more substantial and you just want to get the biggest bang for your buck, right? You don't want to spend loads of money on a really mediocre pizza, then definitely check out the world of Disney food because there are some amazing, delicious items out there.
1: Absolutely. And you've only got to troll a few episodes back and or troll through our chat Disney history to see. We do talk about food a lot and there are a lot of episodes of the podcast dedicated to food in all parks and snacks and restaurants and whatever it is. So if this is something that you want to get on board with, but you are a bit stuck, then go back and listen to some of our earlier work. And that brings me on to my last one. And again, it's a really, really basic, simple one, but something that people just don't do enough. And my one is to go to the park phone free. I think that it is a crying shame that too much we see, we're in a ride queue, and we see a kid sitting there on an iPad, or a kid looking at a phone or a family standing around checking Instagram, and it completely takes you out of the immersive experience that Disney, I believe, is meant to be. And I think that Disney or going to Disney is a perfect, you know, opportunity to kind of really spend quality time with your friends, your fr- your friends, your family, your loved ones, whoever it is that you're going with. Don't go with the distraction of social media and a phone. Get off straight away. And I know that people use their phones a lot for, for photos and things like that. And I know that you know, people will need to, if you know, meet up with people, so they'll need it for contact and things like that. But challenge yourself, give yourself a morning where you turn your phone off and you don't use it. They always say that the best moments of life are not photographed, right? So just give yourself that challenge, especially if you're going for a couple of weeks, you're not going to be doing any meet and greets or anything, you don't necessarily need your phone, then then do it. Who The one that gets me is people that take photos or videos of rides, fireworks, Shows, we should have put this in last week, I think, although it's more about people than, than the parks themselves. But you're never going to watch that content back, and if you do, it's not going to be the same as watching it done professionally. So, don't just don't even bother, it completely takes away from your experience. I think that there are so many things that you could do, be, be doing instead. There's so many great opportunities for things like ride queue games. I think we should do a whole episode on ride queue games at some point, Mercedes, because we have. lot and they do really make the experience of a disney park so much more fun so yeah for me get off your phones i know it is difficult at the moment that we do rely on technology so much and with things like disney genie and apps for the parks and seeing ride ride queue times and things like that we are kind of slaves to using our phones to, to navigate ourselves around a disney park but Maybe even just give yourself the challenge, hey, we're in to IQ, we're not going to use our phones, we're actually going to talk, we're going to play a game. Do something like that and I promise you it will be really, really special.
0: Yeah, and this is the biggest reason that I hate like the Disney Genie and all of the updates to the parks recently because so many of them are based on a phone and you do need a phone to go to a Disney park because it's how you check wait times. It's how you book dining experiences. It's how you book your Genie Plus, if that's something that you want to purchase. So I do think it's a shame, but I think you're absolutely right, Tash. I think that I mean, I'm not even going to go into people filming ride. Like there are so many professional POV ride videos on YouTube. You are wasting your time. They even have the fireworks on Disney Plus, for goodness sake. Yeah, you might want to snap your favorite character as the parade goes by, but you do not need to record the whole thing in its entirety. You just don't. It is oh, the worst. I hate it. But anyway, and I think that... On the phone thing, I wouldn't even just say this for Disney, I'd extend this into any kind of experience. It's one of the reasons that I love secret cinema, because nobody's on their phone, you have to lock your phone away prior to entering the experience. And it's, you know, it's got worse recently, any sort of concert or show that I go to, again, luckily, theatre it's banned. But I think it should be banned at concerts. I really do. I hate it. And you can't see the performer because all you have is a wave of phones in front of you. And we're all guilty. I found myself, you know, at at Pride years ago when we had Britney Spears in Brighton. I ended up filming her with my hand raised high above my head because I actually couldn't see because of everyone else's phone. So I joined in like, well, I might as well film it because my phone will be able to get a good view, but I can't see. And I just think it's really sad. So I think that's a really good one to end on, Tash. perfect
1: i'm glad we are agreed with that so they are our top 10 experiences that we think you should try at a disney park have we missed anything do you have anything that you think we should try at a disney park as always please do get in touch and let us know you can find us on instagram at ChatDisney. disney or send us a tweet at chat disney uk we are now going to head into the final segment of the episode mercedes full movie review of avatar the way of water
0: We cannot let you bring your war here so a little bit late to the party i have finally watched avatar the way of water the sequel to the 2009 james cameron blockbuster smash avatar and if you've not heard about avatar the way of water you must be living under a rock we spoke about it in today's intro and how it's now the fourth highest grossing movie of all time knocking star wars the force awakens off of the fourth spot Really, really excited to talk about this one today with you all. Now I do just want to warn as always with our film reviews, there will be spoilers in this review. So if you've not yet watched Avatar The Way of Water and you want to go into it completely spoiler free, now's the time to pause the podcast and come back to this episode at a later date when you are ready to catch up. So first of all, I absolutely wanted to experience Avatar The Way of Water in the cinema in 3D. And that's because the first ever movie that I saw in 3D in a cinema was Avatar The Original. And I wanted to, I guess, pay homage to that experience. But also I do think that the Avatar movies are best in a cinema 3D. It's what they were designed, you know, they were created literally for that. So I wanted to experience it in that way. And I'm so, so glad that I did. It was the cinema experience that I wanted. Visually stunning. And I think this movie is even more impressive. Obviously technology has advanced quite a long time. It's been over a decade since we last saw these characters and the Na'vi on screen. But there's less human characters in the sequel. So we are with the Na'vi for the majority of the movie, which I think, you know, poses its own kind of technical challenges. But also you forget it does feel like a live action movie when actually, you know, it would be fairer for us to compare this to an animation because most of it is CGI computer animation. I absolutely loved the introduction into what Jake and his family have been up to in the beginning, the introduction to he and Zoe Saldana's character and how they've had four children, one of which was Rose's avatar's baby. And we kind of still left on a bit of a cliffhanger towards the end of the movie about how that actually came to be. And I do think it's going to be an exciting plot twist. So can't wait to see that in the next movie, the third one, which is already confirmed. But it was great to see Jake living his life on Pandora as a Navi, as a native over the last few years. So we do get an explanation as to kind of what he's been up to since we last saw these characters. Fast forward to present day and there's an immediate threat and obviously the Navi are at risk, but particularly Jake and his family are at risk. And so he makes the decision to move them to a water clan quite far away. So a different Navi tribe. Now, I did feel that it took quite a long time to get to that point. And actually, I remember when they kind of a- pre- approached this area that looks very similar to the Maldives that we have here on Earth, I remember thinking, oh, gosh, yeah, this movie's The Way of Water. So you know, we know that this movie is over three hours long. It is very, very long. And it did feel like it took a really long time to get to the water, you know, the main point of the movie. But then we meet these amazing, beautiful characters. I mean, the Navi kind of captivated us in the first Avatar movie with these gorgeous, kind of human esque characters that were just so striking and physically strong and, and so superior to humans in so many ways. And now there's an extension of that with these kind of sea creature versions with slightly lighter skin. They've got kind of fins on their arms, much longer tails that are equipped for swimming. I found that really, really interesting to meet an entirely different Navi tribe. Obviously, we've got Kate Windsor as the tribe leader's wife, and we get to see her in a pregnant form. And obviously, Jake's wife as well at the beginning is pregnant. It was amazing to see two pregnant women, you know, in battle. And I don't think I've ever seen a sort of a naked pregnant, I know they're not humans. But, you know, a pregnant woman, in a movie I don't think I've ever seen that and that was quite an an amazing thing to see as as a woman it was very powerful and very emotional we get a really good idea of who the characters are in terms of the new the new characters of the children both Jake's kids and also the tribe leaders kids as well with really fully formed personalities I love how Jake's kids adapt to island life so quickly and they're the ones that actually take up the new tribe ways and learn the way of water and we see that come into fruition at the end of the movie and it actually saves. Their parents. So that's really, really powerful. And I loved that. I really enjoyed this movie. I actually think that I like it more than the original Avatar. I do think that the character development is richer. It's got a very basic storyline, but so is the first Avatar movie. I don't think the strength of these movies is their plot. I think that it's, you know, the cinematography, and as I say, the character development and it just the visuals, it's visually stunning. I wouldn't hesitate to go and watch this one. I had read quite mixed reviews before I went to see it. And so I wasn't sure that it was going to be that good. I was concerned it was going to be a flop, but it's just every bit as powerful as the first, I would say more so. Tash hasn't seen the movie yet. And I'm quite excited but slightly anxious to see what she thinks because there are a few plot points that I think she might find quite triggering. Obviously, towards the end, we've got the ship kind of drowning. Tasha's got like a fear of open water and drowning and that kind of stuff. And the way that I would describe Avatar Way of Water is almost like Avatar meets Titanic, two of James Cameron's masterpieces, because we do have, you know, the moment where Took and her mother are literally being dragged under and and are drowning in this ship until Kiri comes and saves them. We have the same with Jake and his son, trying to learn the breathing. I think that Tash might find some of those water scenes towards the end, where there's um you know a lot of uh, of action and and drowning and so on, quite distressing. Also, of course, Jake loses his eldest son. I mean, that moment is so gut-wrenching and I cried and I can't imagine watching that as a mother with a firstborn son. I think that that might be quite difficult. It's especially emotive when they cl- they kind of cut to the son as a baby after he's died. That was really, really emotional. And then, of course, there's all of the animal welfare and the kind of conservation stuff. And again, Tash is a big animal lover. I found that really difficult to watch. I think that, you know, I really would say that my favorite character from the entire movie was the kind of whale character. I've forgotten his name, but the one that the second son befriends and that ultimately saves the day. I really grew fond of, of that creature. And then watching his flashback, his vision of how the sky people came and destroyed all of his loved ones and how he was outcasted because he tried to do something. That was that was really, really difficult. I think that the theme of kind of conservation and animal welfare was really strong and powerful in this movie and just kind of further I guess enforces the reason as to why it's appropriate for the Avatar franchise to be in Animal Kingdom and I know that we spoke last week about things we don't like about Disney we spoke about kind of IP in the parks and I I, by my own admission said you know I don't think Pandora and the Avatar franchise has a place in Animal Kingdom but I stand corrected. I think that, you know, if the Imagineers and Joe Rody had the conversation with James Cameron about the direction of the movie, the theme of the movie, obviously we see conservation and, you know, and um, kind of colonization even in the first movie. But I think that that theme was even stronger in the sequel. And it was really, really powerful that the bond that the Na'vi have to the, the animals. And I think that that was even clearer. With the Water Tribe, so yeah. All in all, I have nothing to say about this movie other than I absolutely loved it, and I am giving it a glowing review. If you didn't like the first Avatar, I'd probably give this one a miss. It's very, very similar, but I do think that, as I say, the character development and the visuals are more powerful. So I would say it was a much more enjoyable experience. Definitely too long. It did not need to be three hour long. Three hours long, and I think that the areas that could have been tightened up are quite clear, quite apparent when you watch the movie. But I really, really enjoyed it, and I would give it eight out of 10. And that's all for now. I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Tash and I will be back next Monday at the same time in the same place. And until then, we wish you all a fantastic week wherever you are in the world. Bye for now. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye.